podcast. I'm Scott Spade. I'm your host, and I'm so excited tonight to have uh, have Michael Ruiz. He's uh, he's been named the Robin Hood of foreclosures, and that right there just ought to tell you that he this is going to be a fascinating interview. And so <laughs> I'm really excited to have you on, Michael. We were we were talking a little bit about about some things ahead of time, and man, there's just so much that that we can unpack, and I don't even know where to begin. So yeah, welcome to the welcome to the show, Michael. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm honored. I'm honored that that uh, I was invited to here. I heard a lot of great things about what you're doing and and some of your background. So that got me excited. So as excited as you are about what you know, what I may or may not have to offer, I was like, great. This is I, I like being amongst like-minded, especially men, uh, because you know we're we're born to lead, and yep. uh, so that that's what we have to do. And and be a servant leader in my case, you know, and I think you're probably the same way being some type of a servant leader. So absolutely. So thank you. Well, thank you for the nice welcome. And thank you for having me. Absolutely. You know, it's, I have seen three posts by three different individuals, men over the last two weeks on Facebook, actually last week, talking about that very thing of how we need more men to step up and, and actually four posts. I saw a woman post the same thing. Um, and, one of them I saw in the gym this morning and and guy went after, you know, he was using some pretty harsh language, but he was going after men. And it was interesting in the comments, women were defending him. And while guys were going, this is not true. This is, and women were going, yeah, this is true. We need men to step up and be leaders, especially today. Um, and it's, it's just your spot. You're spot on. That is so true. Yeah, it, I, I do. I, I, I take it very, Seriously, it's our, it's our responsibility, you know. And there's a lot of people, by the way, that that misunderstand that we got to take a leadership and and, and um, um, be accountable, you know. And right. God holds us accountable. But more important than that, in, well, not more important, but in addition to that, you know, it is our responsibility to to our families, whether it's our spouse and our kids, whether you're married or you're a single parent, like I was for many many years. It's my responsibility, and also because. We're leading not so much by what we say, but we're leading by how we actually live, the kind of lifestyle that we're living. So I agree. I think, I think we're leading more by the way we, by our actions than we do our, you know, people watch our actions. And um, I was I was interviewing somebody earlier and I watched a guy, Aaron Walker, that I was telling you about for three years, four years before I ever joined his mastermind. And, mm. and I know what he stands for. And I know his beliefs and I know that, that God is first in his life. Yeah. And um, and so I watched him and he's he's true to what he now he's going to mess up. I'm not going to put him on a pedestal and say that he's he's perfect. He's he's going to mess up. But but we all do. Um, and I, I, I want to know how you got started and, and became the Robin Hood of foreclosures, man. I just it's it's such a niche market. I'm like, you really you know, that's such a niche market that's that's really narrowed down. It, 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 is, it really is, you know, and it's such a long, short and could be a long story. And I say long story only because I'm 56 years old now at the time of this video anyways. And I actually started in real estate, not at 18, but I actually probably started at the age of 15. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, not legally licensed at 18 because that's when I got my real estate license. But, you know. It's funny how the foreclosures have come around full circle in my life because at the age of 15 or so, as a, as a side gig, as a side hustle, because I've always been an entrepreneur, I've always been working since I was really, really young, 
probably 14 years old. I was working as a busboy. I bought my first car at, at 15, even though I didn't have a driver's license until like a week later. So all <laughs> that kind of stuff. But, you know, at 15 or so, my mom put me to work with this group of investors, real estate investors, and they would pay me. And back, this was before computers, like what we know computers today. Yeah. Back then they had the thermal paper and stuff. So there was no monitors or screens. It was just thermal paper. So I'm dating myself. For anybody that doesn't understand that, yeah, I'm not that old because I feel very young. So I actually have a, I'm, I have it an advantage because I know how to deal with the old stuff. But um, what they were doing back then is they would pay me like a hundred bucks a week. They would give me the legal paper, the legal notices, which is where they're supposed to be listing all the properties that are up to water foreclosure. This group of guys, there was three of them, they would pay me to go through this list. I would go to the local university, go through their library, which was free, and print out. I would have to look up every one of these properties, and I had to get a notebook and write down as much certain information that they wanted me to write down. And all these properties, there were all the people that were about to lose their home in foreclosure. Wow. They wanted to buy these properties for them. So, you know, I was getting paid to do this, but I can't lie. Throughout, during those years, I would like, so you know, what's going to happen to these people as they lose their home? I mean, they're going to go homeless. Yeah. But that was just a thought at the time. Fast forward, I'm getting ready to graduate from high school and I was a terrible student. I've always been a terrible student. I'm so terrible. I'm so terrible. Go ahead. Ask me how terrible are you? How terrible are you, man? I was so terrible that I went to summer school in eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade. Every year, I went to summer school. On my 12th year of school, um, I already presumed I'm going to go to summer school in my 12th year, my senior year. And, and, as, and as everybody, as most people, if you all remember, when you're in 12th grade, they're trying to prep you, actually even sooner, what college you're going to go to. Well, I was like, I don't want to go to college. I'm just not school material. And uh, I remember as we were getting closer, long story short, I decided I'm going to join the, the military and I was going to join the Air Force. I've always wanted to fly. Well, um, lo and behold, I wasn't old enough, but I went ahead and I signed up with the Air Force without my mom's permission uh -oh. um, during my senior year. And it was all with, a, it, you know, it was all subject to me turning 18 and having a passing grades in school. So I did all that and I, I entered what they call the delayed entry. So I said, okay, I'm going to schedule myself to go in after summer school. I was already counting to go to summer school. That's how bad I was. Lo and behold, my mom didn't know I was going to go to uh, uh, military until after school ended. And guess what? I did not have to go to summer school. I was like, to this day, I still don't know how the heck, how did I pass? They were ready to get rid of you. <laughs> listen, every summer school, I would always pass with D minuses. All three classes were because they only give you a maximum three. So anyways, I, I got out of that and I was already scheduled to go to military school to, to the Air Force. And I remember like uh, six weeks before I hurt my back. I was working at Winn-Dixie. Again, I'm dating myself, but that was a national chain of, of, of supermarkets. And I hurt my back and I ruptured my disc. I'm at the hospital here in Miami. And I remember after two weeks, I'm feeling better and I'm telling the doctor, Doc, when can I, you know, when can I go home? He's like, what's your hurry? You know, you're, you're feeling better. That's good. I go, yeah, but I got to go home. He's like, what's your hurry? I go, oh, listen, I got to go to boot camp in about four weeks. I want to start running. I want to start getting, and he just said, he says, whoa, 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 wait a second. You're not going in the military. And I go, 
oh, yes, I am. I'm already signed up. And he says, no, 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 you don't understand. You're not going in the military. And I go, and I go, doctor, I am going. I'm already, and I gave him, and he just <laughs> stopped me again. He says, listen, son, listen to me. You're not going to the military. There's this thing called MIPS, and I forgot what it stands for. You probably do. What, what is MIPS? Military entrance. Military entrance. Um, right. He says, you have to go through MIPS. And I go, yeah, I'm scheduled to go on September, I don't know, 15th or so, because I, I remember my entrance was September 28th. And I go, yeah. And he goes, I'm the physician at MIPS. Oh, my gosh. And I just froze. And he stayed quiet. And all you could see was my ears, my, my eyes were just starting to tear up. And I realized what he was telling me. He wasn't going to pass me. He told mm -hmm. me, son, you're going to do one, one sit up and you're going to get stuck. I said, well, I don't care. I'll do that. And then, you know, if I get stuck, you guys send me to the hospital, you fix me up. And then you say, it's like, they're not going to even let you in. I can't let you in. And I just started sobbing. So he, he, he said, listen, I'll leave, let you figure this out, but you're not going. So you have to think of something else. He left 15, 20 minutes later, my mom walks into the hospital. She still finds me crying. And she says, why are you crying, son? And I go, mom. And I explained to her the situation. She says, oh, because she already finally knew that I was going to the military, uh, Air Force. And, and she says, oh, don't worry about it. Just get your real estate license and start selling houses with me. And I'm like, mom, he's like, yeah, you'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. But in the meantime, get your license. He so lo and behold, I was still 17. I turned it. No, I was, I had just turned 18, literally like a week. And uh, lo and behold, long story short, I got my real estate license, passed it. My first try, which I hear is unheard of and I'm terrible at school. <laughs> and um, I got my license and guess what I started selling? I started selling foreclosed homes for banks, local bank at 18. I'm starting to sell all of the foreclosures. So I'm again, I'm, I'm around this foreclosure stuff a lot. I'm like, hmm. As we kept selling homes, they kept coming to me and my mom because they were both, it's like, listen, you guys are selling all of our homes and you guys are offering all this special pricing for offers that we're giving them if they'll do the loan with us. Why don't you yeah. get a mortgage broker's license? And we'll even pay you a percent, a one, a one point. I'm like, mortgage broker's license, what's that? This is 1984. So I got my license in 1983, 1984. My mom and I both go together. We get a mortgage broker's license. And that's all I know. I only know real estate my entire adult life. All I know is real estate, all facets of it, and now marketing. I've been studying marketing since 2008, heavily since the market crashed. Yeah. So to, to go to answer your question, how did I get the Robin Hood? Well, when the market crashed, all lenders, I, I couldn't do any loans because all the lenders were shriveling. About 400 some went bankrupt in a matter of less than a uh -huh. year. I couldn't sell. All my clients all dependent on some type of special financing, not your cookie cutter conventional FHA type of thing. So I didn't have the clientele. I wasn't selling homes. I then started to lose my home because I didn't have the income. So 2008 came by. Mind you, I worked for, before that happened, I worked for Chase Bank as an account executive. I was their number one rep for two years. I was then the number one rep for, for IndyMac Bank for three years because I was, I was heavy into mortgages and real estate. I had a real estate office on the side. I had my wife running it. I mean, I was just everywhere having to do with real estate. The market crashed in 2008. Then it's like, what am I going to do? I need income. But wait, worse than income, I'm about to lose my home. What am I going to do? 
I had lost a home in foreclosure years before when my first marriage failed. And uh, I was like, I can't go homeless. So I started studying how can I protect myself, defend myself without an attorney because I couldn't afford an attorney. Yeah. So I started digging in and researching, researching. Long story short, I said, okay, what I'm going to do is I help myself slow things down. And then somebody heard about it. He's like, hey, Michael, can you do this for me? Hey, Michael. And then they just started referring me people. <laughs> and then it got to the point where it's like, all right, let me start helping people. So after about a year, then the government came and they said, uh-uh. They regulated that. They say you can't help anybody that way unless you're an attorney or you can't charge money that way. It's like, geez, so what am I going to do? So then I started, um, that was doing loan modifications. I couldn't do loan modifications, but God has a way of figuring things out. He, he, you know, I'm a loophole guy. I love loophole. <laughs> I'm always looking for loopholes. I'm always thinking out of the box because everybody's in the box. It's like, okay, there's got to be another way, you know. Yep. Um, and sure, sure enough, it was, it was, um, it changed. This changed my life. This changed my life. I'm going, I'm going through a lot all at the same time, like most of us were. And I'm in court one day on family court, and I'm here fighting because my son's mom wouldn't let me see him. And I was taking her courts like I needed to see him. She took him away out of state, out of out of the county. I'm sorry. And long story short, I remember where we have two days schedule of court and things are not going well. We break for lunch. I'm with lunch uh, with my attorney at our cafeteria and we're discussing it like, this is not going well. And he says, hold on, Michael, look, a judge just walked in the door and I know him, not my judge, but a judge that he knew. Yeah. He says, Stay right here. Stay right here. I'm going to go talk to him. I said, okay. So he gets up, he goes, they sit in the counter. They start chit-chatting and I, I just can't sit still. So I waited for about two minutes. And after two minutes, I kind of get up and I got a cup of my water and I kind of walk backwards to, towards them. And I'm just eavesdropping on their conversation. And after a certain point, I just couldn't hold it myself. And I just interjected and I said, yeah, 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 but wait a second. What about this and this and this and that? This judge turns around, looks at me, Looks at my attorney and says, I take it this is your client. <laughs> and my attorney just does one of these, like, think, you know, yeah. saying, I told you to stay back there. Yeah. And, and I'm like, yeah, but, and then the judge turns around and goes like, son, I'm sorry, but I cannot give you any legal advice. And as I'm starting to put my head down and being dejected, he says these magic words. But... I can tell you what I would do. Mm. Wow. Wow. So that statement from a judge just opened up. It was the loophole that I needed to where I can help a lot of these people that are losing their homes and I can't tell them what to do. That would be giving them legal advice. So I don't. So my first disclaimer with all my clients, whenever I have one or anybody that I'm just helping sometimes, I tell them right up front, just in case you're thinking I'm an attorney, I'm not. Just because sometimes you'll see a shirt that I'm all dressed up like an attorney, I'm not. But sometimes I know more than most attorneys because I've gone to court a lot as a translator for a lot of my clients. And, uh, and I've represented myself as a trustee because they'll put me on title to help them and whatnot. Long story short, I got Robin Hood because there's this little old 80-something-year-old lady who's losing her home. She's 80-something. And her mother passed away and she has a reverse mortgage. Yeah. 
my gosh. So technically you have close to a year with a reverse mortgage that, you know, that loan's got to get paid off one way or the other, or they're going to foreclose on it. So either you sell a property, you refinance it, or you just outright pay off the loan, whatever. But that loan needs to be paid off, they'll foreclose on it. Well, they start foreclosing on this lady. She's referred to me, and she's a Hispanic little lady. And I had her as a client for like close to six and a half years. Wow. Living in her home, mortgage payment free. And I didn't charge her. I just couldn't find my heart because she couldn't. She was living off of renting one room or another. She had mold in the house or we couldn't sell the house. I mean, she had no income. I was just like, Lori, you just put her in my heart and I'm just, I'm just going to do what I can. This is just one of many ways that I can give back. Yeah. So, so what she would do is since she was Hispanic, she would, whenever she would get a piece of paper in the mail from the courts, she would call me, leave me a voicemail and she would say with a Spanish accent. <laughs> and I'm going to say how it sounded. She would say, me Robin Hood, me Robin Hood. Call me, call me. I got another paper. So oh. she did this several times until one day I asked her, I go, why, why are you calling me my Robin Hood? She says, Michael, because you're always helping me like Robin Hood. You're always helping <laughs> me. And I know you're always helping other people. You're my Robin Hood. Oh my gosh. And boom, Michael, the Robin Hood of foreclosures and real estate was born. I love it, it. it. It turned into something funny, but it's actually connected with a lot of people. A lot of people in my profession, when they find out, yeah. like you, there's like, wait, wait, is it a, what Robin Hood? And, and and there's a select few people say, oh yeah, you steal from the rich and give to the poor. And I go, no, that's not necessarily what Robin Hood did. I don't steal. And, and let's be technical. If he stole from the riches because he was just stealing back where they stole from somebody else. But that's not Already. what it did anyways. Yeah. You know, to me, it's just about helping people that are that are stuck. And and I do whatever I can. So so since 2008 and forward, I've been specializing in helping people fight the foreclosures, get time. I've never gotten anybody a free house. No attorney. Rarely are you ever going to get a free house. But what we can do is we can buy time. There's a lot of people, unfortunately, that don't know what's going on and they do this. Yeah. They stick their head in the sand like ostrich, which is really not what they do. <laughs> but, but you know, they do that. And then just as the auction is about to come is when they freak out and they panic. And then it's like a deer in front of headlights where they're like, <gasps> and they freeze and they don't know what to do. So, so what I've developed is a program um, where, where I was doing this for them and charging them, but not legal fees. I was charging them for my knowledge of what I would do. I was making sure I kept it legal. <laughs> and, um, but right now, you know, and this is probably one of the reasons why you were excited about talking about this topic, because this, this is about to happen. It's already started to happen now. It is. I can show you, and in some of the webinars that I've done, I can show you uh, 2008, 9, 2010, 2011, I can show you Miami-Dade County's website, just, just Miami-Dade County. I can show you the foreclosures in one week. They were about 300 or so a week. Wow. That's just Miami-Dade County. Am I, gonna t am I telling you that that's going to be just like that? Nobody could tell you exactly, but I, this, is, this is where we come at. You know, and, and I, I belong to a lot of groups, real estate groups, 
a lot of gurus and a lot of people that have been around for a long time that have been studying this stuff just like I have. And I by far don't know it all. A lot, I love to hear different sides because I get a different perspective and it makes me kind of go, hmm, okay, that makes sense. Or I'll say, yeah, but no, because of this. So I love information. Yeah. Um, and then you're going to have to make up your own mind one way or the other, but you got to be prepared. And that's what I'm doing right now. I'm trying to, and Heather knows this, I'm, I'm trying to get uh, everything's ready so that when, as, as things start to ramp up, I want to be able to give people an option to what can they do to prolong and or drag this out and or keep their home. Because I don't know if you've ever faced foreclosure. Have you? No. Nope. Okay. So I can tell you because I have. And I can tell you also from dealing with so many people that have. Every time you start getting into foreclosure, you get bombarded with letters from attorneys and realtors and investors. And they all want to do one thing is get you to sell your home. And nobody wants to really sell their home because then then what? They don't have a place to go. And then what? So is so my angle is very also very different. So my Robin Hood method is is I, I reach out to these people and I tell them, don't sell your home. Stay. And then I shut up. Stop the foreclosure auction without an expensive attorney and stay. Now, not stay forever, but let's stay and let's figure out what is it you want. Because then we got to get you the right time to now, okay, now we got it to stop. Now, what, what is it you want? So then, you know, there's a process. And me having been through this process myself, you get this it. is just too much information to dump on somebody. And, and they're overwhelmed. And then they're getting hit from everybody else. So in my case, I'm always trying to be different, I, you know, and I'm trying to give a sense of hope. So to me, yeah. that was Robin Hood. That was, in my case, that was, that's Jesus. You know, he's out to give people hope and, and there's a way. Um, and I know Jesus' way, but we're not getting get into that right now. I'm just talking about the foreclosure. So there's other ways. So it, it's always, it always comes down to the two questions. Do you want to stay or do you want to sell? Well, let's say you want to stay. Great. We bought you the time. Let's see if, we, let's see if you can. The beautiful thing about a foreclosure in nowadays is you don't have to refinance. Nobody's going to refinance you. A, right. because your credit is already crap. Um, two, you're probably upside down and you don't have enough equity. The great thing about it is that you can get a loan modification, which is almost the same thing as a qualifying for a loan with the exception of credit is not a factor. They already know your credit is crap. They already know your credit is shot and you're behind. The banks, contrary to what most people believe, they don't want to foreclose on your property. They're not in the real estate business. They're in the money loaning business and the interest business. So they'd rather you keep making payments where they're making money. Yeah. So step number one is like, you wanna stay? Great, let's help you modify the loan. Let's see what you can realistically do. And we try that and I have many clients. Listen, I have pastor friends that are my clients. Wow. My church has referred so many people throughout the years. And, and again, even some pastors in my church have had to come to me. And I won't mention any names. I don't, I'm not here to embarrass anybody. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't think this, anybody should be embarrassed. It's, it's unfortunate. You know, nobody rarely does somebody go into foreclosure because they say, ah, I'm just not going to pay. What, whatever. Yeah. No, what the F? No. You, most people, sometimes they fell into hard times for whatever reason, whether it was a divorce, they lost their job, depression, yeah. and all that settles in. I've been there. So, um, so we help them. You know, we, we tell them what to do to, to get a loan modification. We don't charge any of that stuff. 
And and then a lot of times when the numbers come back from the lender, the num it still doesn't make any sense. You know, they want you to pay way too much. And it just doesn't make financial sense. So then what's the other option? Well, either get foreclosed on or you have to sell the house. Well, as a real estate, then I put my real estate broker's hat on. But then I also put my real estate investor hat on. So we've already exa exasperated all your options of you staying. You don't want to stay? Fine. Let's see how much time we can get you, which we've been able to. And then after that, if not, you got to sell, great. I'm the guy to help you sell anyways. I've been helping you throughout this whole time. You're, they're not going to pay me anything. The lenders is the one that's going to usually pay me through a short sale and stuff. And uh, so lo and behold, that's believe it or not, that's the short version of how I became the Robin Hood of foreclosures in real estate. I love it. I love it, man. That's, you know, I, I had a feeling that there was a little old lady in there somewhere. And, it, you know, it, you know, as you, you kind of brought up where we're heading and I remember 2008 and I, you know, I've watched over the last two years, I've got real estate, a friend in real estate up in Nashville and Texas and different, different parts of the country. And they're they're on they're on Facebook bragging about getting thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars, sometimes a hundred thousand dollars over asking price on a home. And I there's a part of me that just sits back and says, How could you do that to your client? And then there's the other side of me that says, That's the market. And you know, and it's what do you do? And so as we're we're already seeing things slowing down, rates going up, mm -hmm. and we know that you know with inflation the way it is, gas the way it is, things the way they are, people are not going to be able to afford that extra hundred thousand dollars on top of what their you know their their regular payment was, which should have been, and now their house is not going to be, it's not worth nowhere near what they've paid for it. And they're in the hole more than, you know, typically you're in the hole anyway, but then you add an additional 30, 40, $50,000 on top of that. And that's just, that's deep. Well, what they're doing is what's happened in the last year and a half is that they've been accelerating the values up. They've been accelerating because of short, because of short, you know, supply and demand. Right. And then of course the rates being so low, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. My youngest daughter, who's 28, and she just made me a grandpa, we were discussing earlier. Yeah. Um, she's also a real estate broker. You know, She's a third generation realtor. And um, she was one of the few that listened to me. And she, I told her always, on your first property, I want you to buy an income producing property. I don't care if it's a duplex, but it's gotta be income producing. So long story short, she looked, she found, she found a phenomenal triplex. And it was, uh, it, it was like, uh, what we call a unicorn because it's a triplex that's really not just three units together. It was a corner property which was made up of a small house facing this way, and then you had a the other the, a, a separate detached building which was a duplex facing the other side of the street. So it was almost like a house with a duplex behind, but it's really a triplex all in one folio. Wow. She bought that and she got that with a rate of two point seven eight something, which that was in the beginning of two thousand twenty one. Wow. Okay. That was in the beginning of 2021 phenomenal buy. And I was so happy for her. The house was tiny, but it was just her and her husband. They just got married and that was good. And I go, mama, it's okay. You only need to be there for at least one year as per FHA requirements. She can get in there with just three and a half percent down. Where can you normally buy an income producing for three and a half percent down? 
It's almost unheard of unless you understand how FHA works. Right. And that only happens if you're buying a property to live in it. You can rent the others. And 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 I when I explained to her, you she would say, Dad, but I can't qualify for a five hundred thousand dollar loan. I go, but you don't have to. You're going to qualify for with your income plus the income of the other two units. They use seventy five percent of that to help as an income to help you qualify. So you, she qualified without a problem. It was actually easier for her to qualify for a triplex than for a single family. A lot of people didn't understand that. Wow. But it worked. She stayed there for a year, and then just before she found out she was pregnant, they found a house to move to. And they bought a house. They bought it at the beginning, early this year. They did their closing. And the income from that triplex of all three units pays for the mortgage of that triplex for that mortgage, all of it. And it pays for their mortgage of their brand new home. Wow. And she has like $500 left over. As a dad, you're a grandpa like me. <laughs> I'm like, I, I need this for all my children. Because yeah. I need to feel comfortable that at least financially, they're going to always have a roof over their heads if they don't blow it. And they yeah. can always blow it. You know, there's no guarantees. But I mean, I want to get them started with the right foundation. So so what's happened in 2008 is very different to what's happening now. And a lot of people tell me, well, it's not going to be the same thing. And so, again, you get you. I see different people saying, no, it's not different. It's not going to be the same. And I, my opinion, and it's just my opinion, it's it's it is going to be worse yeah why do i say worse because when the pandemic hit a lot of people took advantage of this forbearance thing if you're familiar with forbearance means you don't make any payments we're going to freeze your payments the part that a lot of people that took advantage of that option was that they didn't realize that after whatever time now you got to come up with a whole payment so if you didn't make 12 payments let's just round it up or down because it's really 18 months or more well okay and the forbearance you got to pay us uh wait if i didn't have eighteen hundred dollars then what makes you think i have eighteen thousand but you know another twenty one thousand dollars oh they don't oh, care guess what um either we foreclose on you or let's modify your loan let's repackage it let's extend the term let's add on that balance and add it to your principal so now you just got deeper into debt you just got deeper into debt and it's like Wow. So for a lot of these people that have got into forbearance and they can't get themselves out, guess what's going to happen? Now that they lifted the moratoriums for foreclosures is now they're starting to trickle in. You had a lot of landlords that were not collecting their rents because what happened? They stopped evictions. So you couldn't – so a landlord who wasn't making their payments, who wasn't getting their rent paid for well, – yeah they couldn't make them so you're gonna have a lot of that property in my opinion again a lot of that is going to come into the market and it's going to yeah. fill a big gap mind you i also understand you know there's more people than there was in 2008 you have all the millennials you know it's been 14 years or so i get it but there's still not that many that much properties you're going to see a lot of these properties get recycled back into the market are they going to go as low as back then I don't, maybe, maybe not. It all depends because a lot of people like me, I, I'm getting ready to, to be able to pounce on, on, on good deals. Yeah. Now, what may be a good deal today may not be a good deal two months from now because the market may change, be lower. Like you said a moment ago, this is what you said. And you were right, by the way. People were making offers and they were offering $30,000 over. 
listen, I'm a real estate broker. I sold properties throughout these last six months. People offering $30,000, $35,000 over asking price. That's the only way I was going to win the bid. Yeah. And, and did my conscience bother me? No. Because it wasn't my decision. I was very clear to my clients. They're like, this is what they're asking. And they were so desperate because every time we would put an offer somewhere else, they were getting outbid. They were getting outbid. Yeah. They were getting outbid. And so I, I made it very clear. It's like, you want to pay an extra 30, 35 thousand? That's up to you. The rates now, eventually, maybe the market will catch up to it. It probably will. But still, listen, I sold this, I sold here in Miami. Miami is one of the most expensive cities in America right now. Wow. I sold a small 1,400 square foot house, two bedrooms, one bathroom, original 1930s, beautifully rehabbed for $750,000. Small, tiny house, tiny house with a wow. tiny one car garage. And, you know, and, and I'm, I'm going through my Facebook post feed right now. And every once in a while, I see somebody, a $750,000 house in Pensacola. Because I have, I have family that lives in Pensacola. Five bedrooms. And, and, and then the real, yes. Yeah. Just yesterday, my cousin who, who, uh, who owns a real estate brokerage up there, he just posted it. You know, just sold a $750,000 house. And I look at it, it's like, wow, it's a mansion. That's worth seven fifty. dollars Here where I live. I moved, I have, I have a four bedroom, three bathroom lake house. And my wife and I, three years ago, we, we moved out. We moved into my dad's condo because he passed away. We decided, let's keep, you know, we're empty nesters. We downsized from 40, 3,500 square feet down to like a thousand. We don't care. We actually have an extra room. And um, that's all we use. Come on. How many rooms do you use in your house, Scott? You use the kitchen, the bedroom, the bathroom, and the family room. And that's and, it. And, and that's it. And yep. the two in the garage, if you got one, that's it. Other than that, you don't go into the kids' rooms and stuff. You know, they're all they're all gone. So we said, let's downsize. I rented out the house. Now we decided we're going to sell it before the market starts. It's already doing this. Yeah. So two months ago, you were having what you just said. You had people that were offering over bidding. Now I'm starting to see already in the in the market price reduction. Take advantage now. Price reduction. Price reduction. Ooh boy. Yep. Ooh, price reduction. People are not going crazy. You would, I would have a listing and I would put it in the market and I would purposely, this is what a lot of realtors are doing. This is to create hype. We would say showing on Saturday between two and four. Why would we do that? Cars are mile long. Yes. We wanted to create a frenzy. That's part of marketing, by the way. Yeah. We want to create a frenzy. And why? We want to create a bidding war. Boom. And that's exactly what we did. That's no longer happening. It's happening unless it's a really good deal. So it's just going to, it's starting to, it's starting to balance out. And who knows? It's, you know, who knows up to what point it'll go. Nobody knows. You just got to be prepared. And, and I just don't want to be where I was in 2008, where I was freaking out. I didn't know what to do. I want to position myself. And that's what we're doing now is positioning ourselves where, there's going to be a lot of different people from different backgrounds, a lot of different situations, scenarios where they're going to lose their homes or they want to buy their homes or they want to sell their homes. I was just at a you know, listing presentation today. The guy, you know, in, in the building that I live, this is how crazy it was. Back in July, the highest sell in the building that I'm in, the highest sells for $375,000, the highest for a two bedroom, two bathroom condo, less than a thousand square feet, wow. $375,000. Fast forward. Five months, one of the, it's a small boutique building, 
One of the owners, I became very well known in my building because there's only 36 units. One of the owners came and says, like, Michael, do you think somebody would pay me, I don't know, more, like 450, 500,000? Like, <laughs> you know what? In this crazy market, if that's what market wants, it all depends, supply and demand, and it depends how you market it. Yeah. I'm going to fast forward. I put it, I listed it. I told her I was going to list it for 600. She said, no, that won't happen. I go, what's the worst thing that can happen? It flops? Let's see. There's somebody out there that wants it. Somebody wants this property. Yeah. I'm, you know, I can't sell. So her property was so unique, I named it the Picasso. I did. Yeah. Well, today I just listed the Monet. Now, how do you price a Picasso? As expensive as you could possibly get it. And, and still, how do you appraise a Picasso? At the end of the day, a Picasso is worth whatever somebody's willing to pay for it. Yep. That's what it is. So I listed it for 600. We talked about putting it for 600. When I prepared the paperwork for her, I put it for 624.5. Nine, 624.9. She says, I changed and I go, yeah, you know what? People are going to try to negotiate down. So if you want 600, we can't ask for 600. We got to ask for more than what we want because it's just, it's just in the nature of people going to try. If, if people think it's out of the market, which we were, we were about $225,000 above the last sale in five months ago. $225,000. She says, okay, fine. She signed me the paperwork for $624,900. Right as I was about to put in the MLS, I said, you know, I'm going to put it up for $649. She says, really, Michael? I go, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to put it $649. I just, I, I just feel that we have, you have a unique property and I went through it and then as it, she says okay and then as I'm putting in the let in the MLS I stopped and I said F it in my mind I said F it 674 990 boom hit submit and I listed it little did I know that in our building I created a WhatsApp group of all the owners and residents. And apparently okay. some of them have <laughs> notifications that when something in the building pops up, everybody started, I started getting calls and texts like, you just listed a property for 674.9, you're crazy. The board of directors that was here, they were secretly behind my back saying, this guy's crazy, this guy's crazy, there's no way. <laughs> you, you know, it comes maybe for 425 because of the location. Yeah. In eight days, this is at the end of December that just passed by. In eight days I had three offers. I sold it for 630. Wow. We're talking about, it's just unexplainable. Now what I just did was I just changed the whole perception of what our building value is. Yeah. Now I just, we just listed a property for 599. I'm about to list a Monet for 7,990. You know, because somebody out there wants it. You know, this is the, this is the mentality I explained to people. Every car has usually four wheels. Some people have a Rolls Royce and pay $350,000 for a Rolls Royce. And some people buy a $35,000 Corolla, brand new. Yep. Why? Why will somebody pay $350,000? Because they can. Because they can. Because they can. Some people, they yep, yep. So when I'm selling, it's like when I was doing this presentation today to, to one of my neighbors and we decided to, to sell, he decided to finally sell. Uh, you know, I said, listen, you're either the lowest price in the market or you're the most expensive. Which one do you want to be? You definitely don't want to be the lowest. So, and that's, and that's with anything. Yes. So and when you're selling something, 
you want to be a there's less I, I've learned throughout my 30 what eight years it'll be 39 years of my real estate career since 1983 I've learned that the the cheaper the property the more headaches because you have people that are limited with their income so they're they're penny pinchers they yep. question everything but when you're dealing with somebody who's buying you a five hundred thousand, seven hundred fifty thousand dollar house, and I tell him, like, look, you're buying it cash. Yeah, this, like the property mentioned, the guy bought it cash, and I go, all right, you got to, we got to, we got the contract accepted. Uh, with by tomorrow, you got to submit fifty thousand dollar escrow deposit. Okay, no problem. Okay, sends me the wire transfer. It's like, so it's a totally different type of clientele. Do I want to work with luxury? Absolutely. Are there more sales in the lower bracket? Yes, but more headaches. Yeah. So, you know, you get to pick and choose. Um, yep. I'll help either though. See, I'm not snobby enough to say, <laughs> I, I'm really not. I'm really, I'm not snobby at all. I know what I'm doing and, and my heart is always out to help whoever I can. So I, I have people constantly ask me questions and I'm constantly giving them not advice, especially legal advice, but I'm gonna give them experiences that of what I would do. Yeah. all the time because I know how to work it. I know I know the loopholes and I know the system. You know, having worked in the mortgage industry for so many years and worked in the lending as a lender, I knew what they were looking for. I know how to structure. They would call me all the time to structure deals. And that's what I do. I'm, I'm an architect. You know, I'm a strategist more than anything. It seems like every time we have something that comes up, you know, 2008, 2009, the, the rules change. And we're constantly trying to keep up with the rules. And, um, you know, you, you've said something as, as we kind of bring this to a close, you've said something a couple of times that, that I think is so critical. And I want to re reiterate it and hit it again. That pre you're preparing yourself. You're putting yourself in a better position. Talk a little bit about that position and what specifically you're looking to do, if, if you don't mind. Because I know what I've, you know, the, the financial advice that I've been given is, is stock money away and get ready because properties, things are going to be, you know, pennies on the dollar. And, you know, that's, that's kind of my plan is, you know, what businesses can I buy? What, what real estate can I buy? What is your, what would, what would Michael do? Beautiful, beautifully said. And that, that's a great question. And that's a conversation that I just had today with my, with my neighbor, who's going to be a seller. You know, you would think I'm just dying to just get his listing and listed and make that sale. Right. And he, when I walked in his apartment, I walked in empty handed. And he says, you didn't bring a briefcase. You didn't bring the paperwork. And I go, nope. Like why? And I go, I want to make sure you want to sell. Yeah. I told him, I, I told him, Walter, what are you going to do when you sell? What's your plan? Cause I don't want you to get stuck because just like you're going to sell high, you're going to buy something new. And everything's well, going to be expensive. Okay. Then are you going to qualify? Are we going to get stuck? Are we going to waste our time? I don't want to waste your time. And I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste the buyer's time. Yep. Let's think this through. So what will we do? And this is a great question because I have right now clients that have been looking for properties and some that have not been able to buy. We've put multiple offers on them on different properties and they just kept getting outbidded. And I'm encouraging them. You know, I have them on group text and on a weekly basis, I'll send them a little encouragement and like this week I just told him don't be discouraged things are getting better we're starting to get up over the top of that roller coaster yeah yeah for the sure. last two months I've, I'm already seeing that we're like right here not up here we're like right here 
and we're about to start doing, you know, in the next several months. Yeah. So, so my, what I tell everybody, including my daughter, uh, my other daughter that doesn't have a property, I want her to buy because both, both of our daughters, we have three daughters, two of them own property. I have uh, my other daughter that doesn't yet and she wants to buy. And I told her, you're not going to buy. I'm not going to, I'm not going to help you buy unless you're buying the right property at the right price. Yeah. Um, so what I would do is like, I do exactly what you said, sock away, put money away because you're going to need it. A, because we don't know how bad the economy, economy is going to get. God forbid, you know, you're, if, if you have a job, if you lose it, in her case, she's self-employed, but it's still, you know, up and down. She's a Pilates yeah. instructor and whatnot, and she has multiple sources of income within that realm. Um, but put money away. Yes, number one. But I agree with you 100%. I think prop, prop prices are going to drop. They are. So now, does that mean I'm not going to buy nothing now? No, I still have my feelers out there so that when I see a property, like right now I have for my daughter and myself and myself, I have feelers out there. Every time a, a new triplex or a fourplex pops up, I get notified. And the moment I get notified, first thing I do is I, I already have a quick spreadsheet. That's a Google sheet. And I can, you know, boom, punch in just two numbers, purchase price of what the real estate taxes are. And then if, if it's a triplex, I'll put what the rental income is for each one. And boom, it'll give me the numbers instantly, like instantly. If it's green, it's go. If it's not, it's not. Wow. And uh, so if it's a good enough deal now because somebody's trying to dump it, whether it's a divorce sale, whether it's a probate transaction, if it's a distress sale and you can get it low now, absolutely it. buy it. Yeah. Absolutely buy it. But if you're depending on the regular market, the retail market, the, with the stuff that comes out on the MLS all the time, you're getting, you're getting, you're not getting the deals, right? That's not the deals. You got to be digging where the deals aren't, whether you're dealing directly with, with investors who are searching for properties before they hit the market that are distressed properties that I would do. I, would, I will still buy those today, but in the meantime, for my forever home or for my long-term home, I would, I'm telling all my friends, hold out, hold out. Yeah. Let's keep looking. You know, my last story on this is I have a client that was looking, they, they, they set themselves for, for a, uh, a budget of about 600 grand for a house. I have them on auto notifications. I gave them this Google sheet that every time they get notification with the email has a link so they can immediately put, put in the numbers. They don't even have to call me to ask me what the numbers are. I've automated it where they just got to do this, this and boom. And you'll tell me if you like that payment, great. Well, they found one, they wanted to put an offer. And apparently they didn't do the numbers. They just fell in love with the house. And I said, did you guys do the numbers? No, but it's the <laughs> price is great. And then I go, did you do the numbers? Because numbers is what talks. It's yeah. all about the numbers. Well, we pour in the numbers and you add taxes and the insurances and the FHA and mortgage insurance and all this. The payment was going to be $5,000 a month. And on top of that, they were going to have to put up with like 80 grand Goodness. out of pocket. So, you know, the husband said, oh, no, no, forget it. For that, I say renting <laughs> for 2,500 bucks, 2,600 bucks. And I go, if I were you, I would for a year, renew your lease for one year. And hang on. And, and hang on. And especially renew your lease. Anybody that's listening, renew your lease now, lock it in. Because this just happened to my daughter. They just raised her rent. $550 a month. Up. An, an additional $550 a month. I have my handyman guy. They just raised his rent $600 a month. And it's pretty much a take it or leave it. Yeah, because they'll get somebody in there. That's, oh, 
like this. I know they will. Yeah. I know they will. So my answer to that is like, listen, if you don't have any other place to go, then then get yourself a roommate, rent a room, which by the way is not illegal. You don't need a lease to rent a room. I did this with my house, my my lake house. I got to the point is like, I'm not going to rent the whole house. I rented the rooms. I have four rooms. I make over $4,200 a month just renting the rooms. I still have the garage. I still can go and use the backyard, the lake, and all this other stuff. If yeah. one tenant, if one room empties out, I just got to replace one room, not the whole rent. So there's just a lot of creative ways to do it. But hang on tight. Have faith. Uh, literally, have faith. You know, my, my mornings start with my devotions. And sometimes I get so excited and so gun ho about getting into business that I do get started looking at my emails and looking at my Facebook. And then I start and I, I get sucked into <laughs> all the stuff. And then halfway through my day, 11, 12 o'clock, I'm like, and it happened to me probably today and yesterday. It's like, ah, Lord, I'm sorry. Something's going on. I'm way ahead of myself. Yeah. Let me back up. Let me get back and settle myself down because it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what my plans are. Uh, I, I know my faith helps me recognize the fact that I am not in control. That is for sure. I am God not is, in control. God you know, is in control. He laughs at us when we try to take yeah, control. All the time. <laughs> all the time. And sometimes he's like, man, you're just, you're just, and it's happened to me where he's like telling me, you're slowing down the blessing I'm trying to give you because you're trying to get ahead of me. And I'm try trying to show you this in a slow way. And because I don't let him, because I'm like, but wait, but... And he's like, let that go. You know, I sh and, and I'm trying to learn, and I do, and I don't, and I do. I tell my clients all the time, listen, I know you were in love with that house, but I honestly mean it. That wasn't your house. God's got a better house for you. I tell them all the time. God's already got your house. He just hasn't shown it to us yet. He's, so he's already got your home. You're, you've, you've gotten in trouble, and you've gotten people great homes by saying, but wait. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, yes, the scripture tells us be still. Yeah, but wait. But wait. Now, now, but it goes back to what you said a moment ago. But in the process, we got to get our ducks in a row. Yeah. Because I tell people, but wait, but keep, if, if you have issues with the credit, be repairing it. Be doing what you got to do to fix it. If you have income issues, fix that, get stable. Yeah. Um, if, if you have, you know, living rate, you know, get stable somehow and give yourself a year for this, see where we're going to be at in a year. And you keep looking, you're still going to be still, but you're going to be still watching. You're going to be. Things are shifting and, and moving in a, in quickly. Yeah. And, you know, it's going to be interesting a year from now to see where we're. Uh, interesting may not be the right word, but it's, it's going to be something to see where we end up at. And, um, yeah. and you, you, I've, I've learned so much just in this, this call, man, about the market and the real estate. And, um, you know, I, I think that I'm like you, as, as you're looking at the foreclosures, my first thought is those poor people, what are they going to do? And, and, you know, there's, there's a handful of people that literally brought it on themselves by their stupid choices, right? They're just yep. stupid. Yep. There's some that it, it happened to them. Mm -hmm. And now they're have they're in a in a, in a response mode. Mm -hmm. And you know, those are the people that I'm like, I really I, 
you know, I fear for them. And I, and I think about them, I'm thinking, man, that's, especially in today's market, where, where are they going to go? And, and it's, and it's tough. Um, but I, I love, I love what you've said and I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this, but wait. And I think that when we wait on God, as hard as it is, that ultimately that's where we're supposed to be. And, you know, it's his gifts. What he wants to do is so much better than anything that we could ever accomplish in our own, in our own strength. And man, Michael, where can, where can people find you at? And, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting, this is all funny because I'm getting all my websites all revamped, but by the time that you put this out, I should have one website that will be able to show you all the different things that I can help with. So for now, they can go to michaelruiz.me. Okay. Just michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, Ruiz, R-U-I-Z, dot me. And, uh, and I'll have something there just so that somebody needs to reach out to me because they're stuck with a foreclosure. I will gladly help them, give them any uh, free knowledge of my experiences and what I would do. I won't give them legal advice. And, uh, but I will gladly, I do it all the time. I have people call me all the time. So I'll probably have there a button, a link where they can schedule a call, so forth. And, and, and I'll help them. I'll give them, you know, 15 minutes or so. Uh, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll ask several questions before we get to that call so that I can prepare and, and understand whether so we, when we get to the, to the meeting, like we are now, we get right to the meat and bones of it. You know, we don't waste a lot of time, uh, with fluff. We want to get right to the source and the problem, but yeah, if they can, they can go to my michaelruiz.me. Uh, there, they will find me, my Facebook uh, profile, my personal one. They will find my business profile one, uh, s- some of my websites. Uh, you know, I have a company called All City Consulting. I've had that for many, many, many years, so I do a lot of consulting work. But I'm mostly a real estate strategist. And uh, so to, to end with what you were saying, be still. And, and you know, throughout, throughout Scripture and the Bible, and, you know, we all hear different stories, whether it's in the Bible or in the movies. You know, when they're preparing for battle, they're still, they're, they're waiting. But in that process, they're training, they're preparing. Yep. You know, you, you have somebody that goes into the NBA, into the finals. They don't just come out of the bleachers, you know, out of the locker room and just start playing and start. No, they're training, they're training, they're training, they're preparing, they're preparing, they're preparing. And the same thing here applies to our finances, to our families, to our faith to our relationships, we got to work on it. And if we're going to get lazy and we, and we get lazy, I'm one of them. Sometimes I have different things that I'm lazy about. Come on. And whoever doesn't raise their hand, you're lying, but yep. you know, we're, we're all lazy somewhere. And, and that's just where part of my prayer is constantly like, Lord, help me where I'm weak. And, 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 you know, and you show off because he does, by the way, that's one thing that I've learned is that wherever I'm weak, he takes over, bam. And, he gets a show off straight up, yep. you know? So, so yes, be still, but don't stop preparing. That doesn't mean you don't st- just mean stop fighting, but keep preparing, keep looking, keep looking at the market, what's going on and, and keep an eye out for a good opportunity or a good opportunity for a business opportunity, income opportunity, you know, every, Trust me, you know, they, one thing that I, a, a great word phrase that I heard throughout these past several years is cash is not king. Cash flow is king. king. 
cash flow is king. Yep. You know, do I rather make a hundred grand on one deal or do I rather make two, three grand of income on a monthly basis? Well, that gives me peace of mind. And that with that kind of financial peace of mind of having different sources of income, like I mentioned, you know, I rented out the room and I rented out four rooms. Well, it gives me peace of mind that if one leaves, the other three will cover and vice versa. When you have different, you know, streams of income, same thing. So my, my, my huge shout out to everybody listening to this is look for other ways of bringing in income because then it gives you peace of mind to be able to focus on what you want to do. I want to focus on my Robin Hood Foundation, which is the homeless foundation. Yeah. You know, I, I, I so much want to do that. But guess what? Every time I'm going to go out and feed the, 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 the homeless, guess what it takes? Money. Takes money. Takes money. Takes me having money to buy the food. Takes me money to buy gas, the vehicle, maintain the vehicle, and all that other stuff. So whoever tells me, Michael, you're thinking about money, it's like, no. I'm thinking about money just so I use it as a tool. To me, it's just a tool. What can money do? Right. Yeah. It's not, you know, you know you've, you've heard it all the time. Oh, but, you know, if you love money, it's like, I don't, I don't love money. <laughs> I don't, I, love I, I don't love money. Do. Right. It's what money can do. So, and God used it and Jesus used it. So anyways, I'll stop at that. I don't want to get preachy because that's the last thing I want to do because then I turn people off and it is what it is. I don't care. But all, Mike, I, give, I, I give God all the glory. I have enjoyed having you on. We're going to put some things in the show notes about, you know, what you do and your, your ministry there as well. And, and, uh, and I'm looking forward to just connecting with you offline and uh, thanks again for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Genuinely, thank you for having me. I really do mean that. I appreciate it. Thank you, brother. You got it. Goodbye to everybody that's watching.